Dr. Keith Cobelia with us. He's, a, of course, a professor at Faith. Uh, we're glad that uh, he's back again to share the Word of God with us. So I'm going to have you come up and preach to us this morning. Okay, good. It's good to be here with you again. And I think uh, most of you have uh, been here when I've been here a couple other times, and I appreciate the opportunity to come back. Uh, again, I am a professor at Faith Baptist Bible College. I'm actually in my 10th year, so I'm not quite, uh, well, a little over half way through my 10th year. So 10 years is getting close. It's been a, a good time there. appreciate uh, your uh, uh, support of the, the college. You know, you do have some connections there, students and former students and things like that. This morning, I'd like to uh, continue uh, working through some psalms. The past couple times I was here, I uh, spoke through some psalms. And part of that's because uh, last year I did have the opportunity to uh, teach a Bible elective on the book of Psalms. And so the book of Psalms is on my mind. And what I did is uh, I kind of uh, looked through my files and there were a couple of psalms I wanted to restudy to redevelop uh, some material that I had before. And I'd like to look at a familiar psalm here today, Psalm 19, Psalm 19. And this is a psalm that you're probably uh, familiar with, but I think it has um, a very interesting development. I think it has a very practical uh, bearing on our relationship with the Lord. So let's go ahead and read Psalm 19, and then we will look into it in our morning time here together. The psalm, uh, the title uh, says, To the Chief Musician, a Psalm of David. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork. Day unto day utters speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out throughout all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tabernacle for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, and rejoices like a strong man to run its race. Its rising is from one end of the heaven, and its circuit to the other end. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and in keeping of them there is great reward. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse me from secret faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and shall be innocent of the great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Let's go ahead and pause for a moment of prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you for uh, your revelation to us, and we pray that you will help us to be uh, attentive to it. Pray you'll help us uh, to listen to your word, not just in the, uh, the corporate time here this morning, but that your word might uh, penetrate our lives and really influence our relationship with you. And we pray that as we look into the psalm, it might be encouragement, help us draw closer to you, and we thank you for your many blessings upon us. In Jesus' name, amen. When we speak, we like people to listen to us. Uh, sometimes you might send an email to someone and you might be waiting for a response and waiting and waiting and waiting. <laughs> 
yes, I have some uh, uh, coworkers that I've sent emails to and I've never gotten a response, right? We like to, we like to get that response, right? Especially when we uh, have something we're um, trying to uh, organize or something like that. As a parent, sometimes we give our children's instruction and we expect that they will hear those instructions and follow them. Unfortunately, uh, that's not always the case. Sometimes it's, it's heard, but not really listened to, right? <laughs> if, if we're honest, that we've all been in that situation. We've heard something uh, from a parent, uh, and I'm thinking back to the time when I was growing up, and sometimes we didn't heed it the way that we should have. As a professor, I like students to listen, and uh, for them to pay attention in class is a good thing. I have a class on the Old Testament prophets, and I say that the Old Testament prophets were, were often ignored and completely, um, uh, you know, the, the audience was completely unresponsive, and I somewhat jokingly say there's not a lot of difference between an Old Testament prophet and a college professor sometimes, right? Because <laughs> you're they're speaking, and it's like, is anyone listening out there? Hello, hello. <laughs> yes. As a preacher, I, I guess uh, we like to be listened to as well. Now, now I'm setting an expectation. I'm <laughs> I want to listen, right? Okay, well, that's, that's natural, right? And the point is that if we as people like, to, like other people to listen when we speak, how much more should we listen to God when God speaks, right? If God speaks, we should listen. And God has revealed himself to us. He has spoken to us, and we should respond to his revelation. We should listen to what he has for us. Today I'd like to look into Psalm 19, and it does help us reflect upon how God has revealed himself to us, first of all in creation, and then also through his word, and then actually gives us some of the practical uh, ramifications, some of the practical impact of God's revelation to us. So as we looked at in the title there, uh, it is uh, a Psalm of David, and of course, David uh, was a shepherd, and I can just imagine uh, him reflecting on those nights with his sheep when he could look up into the starry heaven and see the glory of God. Uh, one of the things that our kids uh, bemoan a little bit is we live in Ankeny, and you, you have a lot of lights, so they can't see the stars very well. So every once in a while, they try to go out and look at the, the constellations and stuff like that and match things up, but they can't do that very well. But you can just imagine, you know, in the ancient world, he's out watching the sheep, and he can see the, the glory of the, the stellar heavens. And that's, you know, uh, where the, the psalm here starts. He also was someone who was uh, very... Uh, close to Lord and desired God's word, the, the, the law that had been given to him. So we, we can learn a lot from David's words here. The title also uh, says that it is for the uh, chief musician. This is for the music director, so it's uh, intended for worship, and it's intended to be used in the public worship of the ancient Israelites. Now, as far as the, the, the form of the psalm, it is uh, often classified as a wisdom psalm because it gives us some principles for how we live. There are different types of psalm. Some are praise psalms, and you know, of course those would praise the Lord for his greatness and his goodness. There are laments that basically express sorrow over the situation that the psalmist is in. And there are other types of psalms. This one is a wisdom psalm and really gives us some principles that can help us in our our life, okay? It's uh, giving us information, but that information actually does have uh, practical bearing on our relationship with the Lord, as we'll look at in the last part of the psalm. Now, as the, the psalm develops its structure, uh, you probably saw that there are some fairly radical uh, 
transition points. Uh, the first six verses basically talk about natural revelation, God's work in creation, and how that declares his glory. Uh, verses 7 through 11 uh, talk about the, the word of God, and then we have what's known as special revelation, okay, God's uh, communication to us in written form. And then it has a personal reflection in the closing of it where it calls for cleansing. We'll look into each of those sections here this morning. So our basic point is that God has communicated to us and we should live in light of our knowledge of him. That God has communicated and we should live in light of our knowledge of him. Again, uh, David, the author here, was a man after God's own heart and we can follow his example in responding properly to God's revelation. So first of all, we want to see that we should stand in awe of God's glory in creation. We should stand in awe of God's glory in creation. So you do have a handout. I have limited blanks today, um, but uh, creation is the first blank. Normally I have more blanks, but I made it too easy for you today, and I, I filled in a lot of the, the blanks, so you don't have to do a lot of work. Uh, we'll take it easy on you. But um, as a professor, I normally have more blanks to try to keep people engaged. Anyhow, you have, you have most of the outline there, but uh, God wants us to stand in awe of his glory in creation. And really that's where the first stance of the first six verses direct us. And again, God wants us to know about him. He's communicated to us and this is purposeful. God could have just you know, left the world to go its own way and stayed uh, in heaven by, uh, by himself without any regard. But God has communicated to us. He wants to have a relationship with us. And he has declared himself in a couple very important ways. Now just to uh, give a little bit of categories as we, a few categories as we begin here. Uh, we mentioned it already, but there's a difference between what's known as natural revelation and special revelation. And this is our theology class today. So <laughs> uh, this natural revelation would be God's uh, communication of himself through ordinary means, primarily through uh, creation, but also through uh, conscience and things like that. And God has communicated in ways to all people that point us to his presence and his glory. Again, creation would be the primary one, and that's the one that the psalmist focuses in on. But there's also special revelation where God has broken into human history and communicated in other ways, like dreams and visions and even miracles, things like that, the incarnation of Jesus. And the form of special revelation that the psalmist focuses in on here is the written word of God, the law of God. Okay, So there's, there's two categories, and we'll look at both of those in time. As we think about creation, creation uh, shows the glory of God. And I remember uh, the first time I was really to the ocean. I've been to um, like the Gulf of Mexico, but the first time I was at the, uh, really at the ocean is one of the times I went to Brazil. I taught a, a class there for uh, a missionary friend of mine. And uh, the they were close enough that they brought me to the ocean. And the ocean is really, really big. You know, you see, you uh, look out in the horizon, you see these huge uh, ocean tankers. Now, those are, you know, the, the freight uh, uh, ships and things like that. And, you know, there's just this little speck on the horizon. It's going and it's looking, it's inching along. It kind of gives you a perspective of how big the ocean is. Uh, when you've, perhaps you've been on a plane trip, you've flown internationally, you've gone over the ocean, and there is a lot of ocean. The ocean is really, really big, and it's, it's huge, it's powerful, it's vast, and uh, 
God is in control of all that, and it points us to the majesty of the Creator. Unfortunately, many people resist, they ignore, they uh, try to explain away the evidence for, for God in creation. But I think it is there and it is obvious. So that's our first point. In verse 1, the, the glory of God in creation is, is obvious. It's obvious. The first verse says, The heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows his handiwork. The heavens here are the, the starry heavens. The, the term uh, heavens can be used in, in, uh, in different ways, but he's using here of the visible heavens. So in, in, we read in Genesis 1, that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Uh, and probably the, the heavens there includes even the, the uh, uh, angelic realm and things like that. But here uh, we're, we're focusing on the, the, the place where there's the stars and the, and the planets, the sun, and all that. And as you look into the, the starry heavens, you can see the glory of God. They declare or uh, rehearse how God is great and how he is um, uh, declared in these things. It's, it's like the heavens are uh, personified and they are speaking out God's glory. The uh, term glory there is the term for honor or splendor and it shows the importance of God. Uh, in, in parallel structure here, we then are turned to the, the firmament, which is the expanse of the sky, you know, again, a synonym there. And everything that we see in the heavens points us to God and shows God's majesty they show his handiwork, and this is basically his deeds. Okay, so the, the creation uh, very obviously points to a creator God. Unfortunately, many reject that uh, revelation of God. However, the evidence is clear and loudly speaks of a creator and of uh, one who put these things into place in just the right way, that everything is perfectly balanced and that it... Uh, holds together in God's uh, intended way. So again, here we have natural revelation where God is speaking to himself through creation. And really it uh, transcends languages and locales. And we'll look at that here as he uh, focuses in on the, the sun here in just a moment. But the uh, majesty of creation is evident and it is obvious to those who look into uh, the created order. Not only is it obvious, but it's also universal. Uh, it's universal, and we see that uh, picking up in verse 2. The day and today utter speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out throughout all the earth, and their words to the ends of the world. The glory of God in creation is universal. Wherever one goes, the testimony of creation is there, and it is clear that it is uh, the work of God. Uh, this Natural revelation is inescapable. You can't go anywhere and not see the glory of God. Uh, it begins by talking about the day, day and night. And basically the idea is that any part of the day, whenever you can get up in the middle of the night <laughs> and still see the, the glory of God in the, the stars. You can be uh, awake and see God's glory through the sun and other means of, uh, other aspects of creation, excuse me. So he is basically saying that these, these items utter speech. Now, they, the irony here is that they aren't speaking, but they speak. It's uh, what one commentary calls um, the irony of uh, uh, speech uh, or the paradox of a wordless speech. 
that even though they can't speak words, they are communicating a message. Again, that's what natural revelation is. It's pointing toward the creator God. And wherever one goes, it is, is obvious that the day and the night, they reveal that there is a creator God. Verse 3 is a little bit more difficult, and you may have a version that reads a little bit differently. Um, some, uh, like the ESV says, there is no speech, nor are there words. Uh, whose voice is not heard. But again, it's pointing to the idea that even though they aren't words, they're heard. And in whatever version you have, it's, it's, it's clear that that's what the, the idea is, is that even though creation doesn't speak to us in sentences and paragraphs, uh, it speaks a message to us. It's God's communication to us, and it is universal. And wherever you go, you can see the evidence of, of God's creative work. Uh, he talks about their line going out through all the earth. And basically, uh, the, the line here, uh, or the, uh, the voice, is the, the testimony that goes forth, and it is seen throughout all creation. Uh, we see this also in Romans chapter 1, that uh, there is a testimony of, of God in all the earth. And the, the things that are seen give testimony to the things that are unseen. And the things that we see in the created order are really a, a universal testimony to God's greatness. God's glory is also inescapable. It's universal, and that kind of correlates then with the idea that it's inescapable, that we can't get away from it. So verses 4, uh, the end of verse 4 on through 6, he actually uses a specific illustration, the sun. Okay, so he says at uh, the end of verse 4, in them he has set a tabernacle, that's in the heavens, he set a tabernacle for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, and rejoices like a strong man to run its race. Its rising is from one end of heaven, and its circuit to the other end, and there's nothing hidden from its heat. Okay, so he is talking about the sun being set in the, 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 uh, the heavens, and the idea is that it has a tent. It kind of goes in and out in its uh, cycle, so it's kind of making a word um, uh, picture here where we can vision the sun and its daily cycle. Uh, it's like a, a bridegroom coming out of his chamber. Uh, on the day of one's wedding, one should be excited. That's kind of the idea here. You know, it's, it's, it's eager and the sun, you know, doesn't tire. It's always, it, it's always up, we'll say, at the crack of dawn. <laughs> Well, I guess if by definition it has to be up at the crack of dawn, right? Okay, so, um, but it, it never tires. And it's, it's, it's like uh, that, that, uh, that bridegroom uh, rejoicing in the day of his wedding. He gives another illustration here of a strong man running its race. Um, I like to jog a little bit. Uh, I'm not always excited about it. Once I get going, I like it. But uh, sometimes it's not very excited. But, you know, it's, it's the idea of someone, an athlete, who is just uh, chomping at the bit to get to his competition. And, again, the sun doesn't tire, and it is uh, uh, strong and uh, effective in its, its uh, work. It's rising, it's talking about the sun in verse 6, is from one end of heaven, it circuits to the other end, and it runs the circuit on a daily basis. And that's kind of the idea here. And at the end of it says that there's nothing hidden from its heat. So uh, we could, you, know, you could ask, well, what about the person who's, who's blind and can't see creation? Well, they still have the testimony of creation because they can feel the, the warmth. They feel the effects of the sun. And even if you are limited in your um, senses, you still have the testimony of the, of the sun to give um, honor to God and points us to God's uh, glory in creation. So God has revealed himself to us in the 
created order, and we see that that uh, is uh, obvious, we see that it is universal, and that it is inescapable. Creation should point us to the God of creation, and we have to recognize his greatness and praise him for his mighty works. His works are evident, uh, yet there are those who ignore this testimony. As we look into creation, we should continually be pointed toward God and be impacted about by his greatness and have that influence us. The psalmist continues on uh, in verse 7. There's a rather abrupt transition. He's talking about creation. We're kind of tracking along. And then all of a sudden, he moves into a completely new idea. The law of the Lord is perfect. Now, I would suggest that it's not just uh, he lost track of his thought. I think there is a correlation here, and I think that it's a different way that God has revealed himself. So God has uh, shown us his glory in creation, but God has also revealed himself in his written word, and we should understand the value of God's written word. So we should stand in awe of God's creation, and we should uh, take time to look into creation and just reflect upon God's greatness, but we should also understand the value of God's written word. And uh, I think the next set of blanks is, is written word. Um, Natural revelation is good, but special revelation is better. Special revelation gives us uh, God's communication in written form and uh, gives us more details about God's nature, about his relationship with mankind, and gives us details that uh, natural revelation are unable to communicate. So special revelation provides more detail and more testimony about who God is and then points us to the relationship that we can have with him. So special revelation is important. And as we think about God's written word, uh, we have in verses um, 7 through 9 a series of statements uh, where there really is uh, a parallel form here, where there is uh, six descriptions in parallel structure. There's a name for the Word of God, a description, and then its effect. And you are probably familiar with this passage of Scripture, but in these verses, the Lord is describing uh, the, the Word of God, uh, the law that David would have had. That would have been the, the content of uh, God's written revelation to him. And he gives six different uh, titles for the Word of God, describing it and shows its effect for individuals. And we'll look through these just quickly. We don't need to get too bogged down. The overall um, perspective here is that the Word of God is really good. <laughs> and hopefully you agree. Uh, hopefully that's why you're here today, to sit under the ministry of the Word and to realize that God's Word is good. So all these uh, descriptions show that God's Word is good and profitable to mankind. He begins, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. Again, the law of the Lord, that's a familiar uh, uh, term for the first five books of the Bible. And I think that's primarily what uh, David would have had in mind here is the law of the Lord. And it's perfect. Uh, it's, it's whole. It's complete. It's without lack. It's flawless is the idea. And the, the perfection of the, the word of God revives the soul. It has the idea of converted. It can transform us. And I think it does point us to the idea that God's word can help us grow and helps us to uh, grow and develop in our relationship with the Lord. So again, it has a very practical benefit. Continues on at the end of verse 7, the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the, the simple. The testimony has the idea of uh, something that gives um, um, 
well, testimony gives witness to, and the the uh, the primary referent here might be the Ten Commandments. Some scholars uh, suggest. Uh, either way, it, it's it's talking about that written revelation that gives witness to the Lord. It's sure, or the idea is faithful. God's word is faithful and it endures forever. It's reliable and trustworthy, and it is a sure foundation for life. In it, we have, have the value then of making wise the simple. And with this, we're think, we think about the book of Proverbs and how the Proverbs helps give instruction for the simple person to grow and to learn and develop. And we have instruction that can help us grow in our Christian life. It says, the statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart at the beginning of verse 8. And statutes, again, is another synonym for the word of God and has sometimes translated as precepts. Um, it's another synonym, and incidentally, a lot of these same synonyms are found in Psalm 119, where there's a number of names for the Word of God as the Word of God is exalted in Psalm 119. Uh, here, the, the term precepts is used, and they're right, and this is probably in the moral sense that gives us, they're, they're morally correct and gives us uh, direction for our lives in a moral and ethical sense, and they cause joy for us. They bring satisfaction and they're something that is good for us. Then verse 8 says, The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The commandment uh, stresses uh, the idea of the authority behind the instruction, that it's, it's telling us what to do in a particular situation. And God does have the right to set commands and give those uh, to us. And they are pure. The idea is that they're clean, that they are without pollution. Uh, and, of course, that reflects God's perfectly holy character. With that, the benefit then is that they enlighten the eyes. Uh, they give uh, light, not in the physical sense, but they give us uh, uh, moral understanding, spiritual understanding that guides us into making right choices. A couple more descriptions here in verse 9. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The fear of the Lord is kind of focuses on the human response. And again, in wisdom literature, uh, like the book of Proverbs, it focuses in on the fear of the Lord. And that is the proper response to uh, the Word of God. And I think it is used here uh, with reference to the, the Word of God. And they're clean. It's clean. It's pure. Uh, again, it's without contamination or pollution. And it endures forever. It doesn't change but it is constant and it continues. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether, he says. The judgments is a legal term and uh, has the idea of judging properly between options. And the word of God does give uh, the basis for proper judgments. They're true. The idea here, again, is reliable, faithful. Again, a synonym with some of the other terms that we've seen. And righteous altogether. As we put all these things together, we get the idea that God's word is beneficial and it is pure. It's, it's good for us and there's things that God has communicated there for our benefit okay so I, th I think we can see that uh, through the the list here that God's word is very beneficial in our lives or that it is good for us and again good in the um, in the in the moral spiritual sense it has benefits for us 
Not only that, not only only good, but it is uh, desirable. It's it's good for us, uh, and we ought to be in God's word because it does help us to grow and gives us uh, guidelines for living and things like that. But it's also desirable. Uh, Verse 10 highlights that. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. And here he gives basically two illustrations about how desirable the word of God is. That which is valuable uh, and that which is uh, uh, sweet. So uh, gold, gold is uh, not. We don't use a lot of gold, but if if I were to say who who wants uh, uh, who wants more money, right? Most people would like more money, right? Because it helps us to purchase things that we need and things like that. And the lack of money causes stress in our lives and things like that. And we've probably all been there at one time or another where we haven't had enough money to cover an expense, and then we're wondering what we're going to. So gold is valuable, okay? So it's something we uh, desire. So it's, it's it's why we go to our, our job typically, right? Because we need to you have money to buy food, to eat, and things like that. So it's important. And uh, some people are overly consumed with, with wealth, and that's a problem. But gold is something that is desirable, okay? It's something that we, we strive for because we do have uh, certain needs, okay? He parallels this with uh, the much fine gold. The idea is gold that is purified. It's uh, extra purified gold. And of course, there are different you know gradations of uh, purity of gold. And the, the pure gold is more valuable. They switches on to honey. Honey would have been, uh, of course, the, the sweetest uh, substance in the ancient world. They didn't have the refined sugars that we have. But uh, uh, if you can think about your favorite dessert, who, who, wants, uh, who wants ice cream? I, that, that's a favorite at our place, right? You know, everyone in our family likes ice cream. And it's like, uh, you know, it's, it's something we desire and something that we, we crave. So the idea is the, the most valuable substance of the ancient world, gold, and the sweetest substance, honey. And the word of God is more more desirable than those things. Now, those things are good. The, 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 the wealth and the sweetness are things that we, we crave, but we should even more crave the Word of God um, than those other substances. And it's something that is desirable. And we kind of catch a little bit of David's heart here as he uh, expresses his desire to uh, have God's Word in his life. And the value of uh, the Lord's judgments are far beyond those physical substances of gold and of sweetness, and they point to his character. So God's special revelation is better than gold or honey, and it's better because it's life-transforming in the life of the godly individual. So we should delight in God's word like the psalmist did. The Revelation of God, the special revelation that he's given to us is also beneficial. In verse 11, he continues on and says, Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping of them there is great reward. So he points toward the, the, the practical benefit, which actually then prepares us for the last stanza uh, of the psalm. God's special revelation is beneficial. It gives us warning, gives us admonitions. And there are times when the word of God gives us instruction that will help us to avoid the pitfalls of sin and will keep us on the right way. It gives us warning. Also says that in keeping of them, there's great reward. And again, this isn't necessarily like a monetary reward, but there are good results when we keep God's word. And the wise individual will learn uh, the word of God and avoid the, the danger of this life. So the Word of God here gives us uh, foundational uh, admonitions and instruction that will lead us to a rewarding life. 
So the psalmist here has been looking at the word of God and it is uh, good, it is um, desirable, and it is beneficial. It, it, it's good for us. Uh, it's morally uh, correct. It is uh, desirable. It's something we should crave and it's beneficial, something that helps us as individuals and keeps us on the proper uh, path. So I trust that we have that same love for the word of God that's, that David had and the word of God should be our joy, our delight, and our desire. So then the question is, how do we respond to these things? Okay, if God has revealed himself in creation and God has revealed himself into his word, how should we respond? And that to me is, is kind of the interesting thing about the psalm is how it develops because we seem to have a rather radical shift here again uh, in verse 12 where it says, who can understand his error? It's like, wow, where'd that come from? Okay, but I think there is a reasonable flow to the psalm as he's been talking about God's revelation of himself in creation, then in the word of God, and now we have what that response of, of the listener should be when we uh, are confronted with God's revelation. And I would suggest that we should be transformed through our knowledge of God. We should be transformed through our knowledge of God. So we've learned a lot about God and his word, and this psalm doesn't stop there. It actually gives us the practical implications of the revelation that God has given to us. So again, in my, my classes, uh, I try to point out that our knowledge of God or uh, what we know about God should impact our relationship with God. That is that uh, our theology should then be practical. It should uh, affect our relationship with God. What we know about God should then affect our relationship with him. Does our knowledge of God transform us? I think it did transform David and that is what we have here at the end of the psalm. He then uh, begins by uh, pointing out here that knowledge of God will cleanse us from sin. A knowledge of God will cleanse us from sin. Again, if we have looked into the glories of creation, we've looked into his natural uh, revelation, then his special revelation through his word, we can't be unchanged. We should be transformed and it should, first of all, cleanse us from sin. He says, who can understand his errors? Cleanse me from secret faults. Of course, we, these are rhetorical questions. He's not asking for testimony time here, right? Uh, but if we, if we look at our own lives, we realize that we have deficiencies, we have sin, we have uh, shortcomings. And how can we know these things? By, we can actually know them by looking into God's word. And then he then has the prayer, cleanse me from these secret faults. I think that reveals some of the uh, heart of, of David here is that he desired cleansing, he desired forgiveness or to be clean, uh, to, to not uh, be uh, held guilty for his wrongdoings. Uh, he wants God to expose those wrong things and to transform his practice. Uh, so again, I think we see how his knowledge of God then causes him to call to God, to pray to God for cleansing. And I would suggest that as we study God's word, as we get to know him better, we should desire to be cleansed and we should desire to be uh, for, uh, forgiven on our sins even on a daily basis. It says in verse 13, keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. So uh, knowledge of God not only causes us to desire cleansing, but also will protect us from blatant sins. And uh, the, the idea here of a presumptuous sin probably goes back to um, 
provisions in the law of, of, a, of a, what's known as a high-handed or a presumptuous sin, where David didn't want to do something that he uh, defiantly disobeyed God. And as we have a, a knowledge of God's word, we'll be kept from that type of attitude, that type of behavior where we sin in a way that we totally disregard what God has said and have a rebellious attitude. And I think that that's what uh, the psalmist here is talking about. The, the presumptuous sins, again, are willful or deliberate violations of God's commands. And we have illustrations of this back in the book of Numbers, chapter 15. We don't need to turn there. But there's actually uh, an individual who commits a, a blatant sin. Uh, he actually is gathering stones on the Sabbath. And um, uh, basically, he completely disregarded what God had said. And David wanted his knowledge of God and God's word than to keep him from having such a heart of rebellion. And then he would be uh, innocent of this type of sin. Finally, a knowledge of God will help us to please him. And this uh, is on the positive side. God's word not only transforms us, keeps us from sin, but on the positive side, verse 14, he wants the word of God and his knowledge of God then to build into him words that are, and thoughts that are pleasing in God's eyes. Verse 14 says, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. And a knowledge of God should help us to please him. And... He talks specifically about the words. Uh, the, this is his speech, uh, the things that he says. Uh, and he also couples that with the meditation of his heart, even our thoughts. And I trust that as we're in God's word, that it will help transform us and help our, both our speech and even our thoughts to be pure in God's eyes. Okay, uh, there's lots of things that we can uh, think about that are negative and bad, and eventually that, that comes out in our speech. But David here is saying that his, may his whole thought process and then the things that he say be guided by uh, God's word and to be pleasing in his sight. He says he wants it to be acceptable, and the idea is that there's a, an evaluation and it's something that is, is a right and proper or the, can have the idea of pleasing. And then he calls to him as his strength and his redeemer, re realizing that God is the one who provides the foundation for godly living. So to kind of wrap up our thoughts here, uh, again, we've seen God's revelation of himself in creation, his revelation of himself then uh, through the word. And uh, I think this does apply to all of God's word, even though in David's context, he would have primarily had the, the law of Moses in his mind. But then the practical application then that we should I have a right relationship with God because of our knowledge of him. Uh, so as we kind of close things, we have a, a couple implications I would like to share with you uh, as we think about the uh, application or implications of Psalm 119 uh, in, in our own lives. Uh, God's word should be transformational and our, our knowledge of him should uh, change uh, who we are. And, and sometimes there is a, a false uh, dichotomy between knowledge and practice. But I think that as Bible-believing uh, Christians, our knowledge of God really should affect our practice, okay? And as we think about this, uh, first of all, the first implication is that we should reflect on the grandeur of God's 
word, uh, of grandeur of God and his word. And again, sometimes we need to just uh, appreciate what God has uh, done and the revelation that he has given to us, both in creation and in his word. And I think we should be stand amazed that even though God is great and almighty, he has chosen to communicate to us. And he has chosen to have that uh, uh, line of communication so that we might know him. Again, God is not distant or unknowable, but he has uh, reached out to us and communicated to us, and we should listen to that. I should mention here that, uh, that, that pre, uh, the, the fact that God has communicated to us uh, means that we should listen to that, but that means we should have a relationship with him as well. And that's one of the reasons why God has communicated to us is so that we can have a right relationship with him. And we know from the, the New Testament that that relationship uh, begins with uh, faith in Jesus Christ. And we need to start that relationship and to have that uh, communication with, uh, to accept that communication of, of God through Jesus Christ in our lives, uh, accept Jesus as our Savior. So we should reflect upon uh, the grandeur of God and his word. Uh, we should cultivate a love for God's word, and I think that that is seen particularly in uh, the, the middle part of our psalm here. We catch the psalmist's passion for the word of God, that it's not something that was uh, uninteresting or boring to him, but something that, that he desired, something that he longed for. And I trust that we likewise will have that love for God's word. As God has communicated to us, I trust that we love being in God's word. We then also need to obey God's word, and that's a natural response, and then does kind of uh, lead into that, that last stanza, that it's more than just knowing God's word. And it's more than just uh, knowing the facts of uh, the Bible stories and things like that, but we also need to obey what God says, and that is an important um, uh, ramification of knowing God's words that we then ought to do it. Uh, knowledge of God and of his word should lead us to obedience and Again, sometimes this uh, involves self-evaluation as we evaluate our practice, our own thoughts in light of God's word, but then we ought to be willing to obey it and to be uh, changed uh, in, in light of it. This is an ongoing process, the process of sanctification as God's word helps transform our lives. And that leads us to our final implication here is that we should be transformed by our knowledge of God. And again, as we see God has communicated himself to us, we ought to be transformed by our knowledge of God. And I trust we do catch the heart of the psalmist in this passage here, that he had seen God's glory in creation, he knew God's written revelation, and as a result, he calls out for purification and that he might be transformed by God's word and be pleasing in every aspect of his life. And I trust that we likewise will look into God's word, we'll look into uh, what he says there to reflect upon the uh, relationship that we have with him, be sensitive to sin and desire to be pleasing to him. And I trust that we'll follow David's example in this a desire to know God and to be transformed by that knowledge of him. Our Holy Father, we do thank you for your uh, communication to us. We thank you that you have revealed yourself in different ways, and they point us to your greatness and to your moral goodness. And we trust that as we look into your revelation of yourself, you help us to be transformed, help us to live lives that are righteous and holy and pleasing in your sight. 
Help us to uh, uh, be encouraged this morning uh, that you have revealed yourself to us and that we can have uh, not only a right relationship with you through Jesus Christ, which we all need, but then we have the resources we need to live a sanctified life for you. Pray that you'll continue to work in our lives. Help us to honor you in all things. In Jesus' name, amen.